stand with me this morning as we call your attention to the Word of God. Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 10. Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 10. Uh, I will explain to you quickly that dream big, go big will unfold a little bit more each Sunday for the next coming months. And uh, so you don't want to miss if you miss a Sunday. We have a whole crew of people that's out today, and they're dying on the inside right now. That'll teach you for planning these silly little trips somewhere. That'll teach you. So I just plan to stay at home for the next couple of months. Amen. Thank the Lord. Let's pray for them that God gives them a safe trip and a very enjoyable trip. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and he put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder. A ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whether thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And it all began with a dream. Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had, had, that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Jacob bowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and all of that I shall give thee. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I want to speak to you simply this morning, becoming a dreamer again. This is for everybody. Becoming a dreamer again. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for standing. T.E. Lord said, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act on their dreams with open eyes to make them possible. Harriet Tubman said, Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within 
you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars and to change the world. Robert Kennedy said, "Those there are those who look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. Another dreamer, perhaps the greatest dreamer of the mid-20th century, is Martin Luther King, Jr. His I Have a Dream speech in August 1963 represented a defiant political stance couched in religious rhetoric. It is important that the address was presented as a dream. He said, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. A long journey, a hard pillow, a guilty conscience, a heavy heart. These are the things that cause men to dream. It had been two days since he had left home with Isaac seething in the background, his mother Rebecca weeping, and his dad Isaac waving goodbye. Two days on a journey of some 550 miles, Jacob is on his way from Beersheba to a place called Haran. It was a journey backward in time for Jacob, backward because he was retracing the steps of his grandfather Abraham, who came from Haran to the Promised Land many years prior. Abraham had left behind him a settlement of people that had grew and prospered over the years. So it was natural that Rebekah would think of Haran when she cast about for a safe haven for her youngest wayward son. It was far enough that Esau wouldn't follow him there. Yet there was family there so Jacob would not be alone. Rebekah's plan was simple. By sending Jacob to Haran, she was putting him in a safe place until Esau's anger passed. Then she would send word for Jacob to come home. In the meantime, and she hoped that her son would marry one of his relatives in Haran and would eventually return home bride in hand. It was a good plan, and in fact it did come to pass, but not exactly as Rebekah had envisioned. All of that was in the future when Jacob set out on his lonely journey to Haran. He's been on the road now for about two days. He had two days to walk, two days to think, two days to ponder, and two ways to wonder what might have been. He left home so quickly. It wasn't the beautiful send-off he wanted. No, he hurried out of town lest Esau should decide to take matters into his own hands and kill him. Jacob was running for his life with relationships broken and family ties destroyed. Now on the evening of the second day, as the sun sinks over the western horizon, Jacob stops for the night. He comes to the outskirts of a city called Luz, a place unknown to him, a city with strange and possibly dangerous people. Outside the town on a hillside strewn with rocks and boulders, Jacob made his bed. Night comes quickly, and in the gathering darkness, Jacob rests his head on a large flat stone. I imagine that Jacob had a hard time going to sleep that night. As he reminisced in his mind, I wonder if he thought about his family. Did he worry about his aging father 
did tears stream down his cheeks as he waved, remembered waving goodbye to his mother? Did his face turn crimson in the darkness as he replayed his shameful deceit? Did fear strike his heart as he thought about Esau's pledge to kill him? I'm sure he thought about all of those things and much more as he tried to sleep on a rocky bed under the stars with a stone for a pillow. And as the stars came out and strange sounds of the night filled his ears, Jacob realized for the first time in his life that he was truly alone, truly homeless, truly penniless, and truly helpless. wonder if he said to himself that night, how in the world did all of this happen to me? Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, the promised bearer, the bearer of the promise of God for future generations of a nation that still exists and is alive and well in our world today. He is running for his life. And how did this happen? Well, he had only himself to blame. And I'm sure that he didn't argue that point with the coaching of his mother. He was the one who cheated his brother. He was the one who lied to his father. He was the deceiver. He was the scoundrel. He was the one who broke up his own family. But Jacob got what he wanted. He could only reflect on the terrible price he paid for the thing he wanted so much. And that was Esau's birthright. They tell us that if you visit that same area today, it doesn't look much different now than it did then. Barren, strewn with rocks. It looks like a bleak moonscape. It was not the most likely place. It was not the most likely place where a man could go to have an encounter with God. In fact, it's this kind of place you might go if you're running from God. At last, he drifted off to an uneasy sleep. And while he slept, he had one of the most famous dreams in history. He had a dream in which he saw a ladder resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood God Himself. God had never spoken to Jacob before. God had never spoken to Jacob before. Jacob had never heard the voice of God before in his life. To his grandfather Abraham, God had spoken. To his father Isaac, God had spoken, listen to me, Grace. But to Jacob, no. His entire life had been lived on the borrowed faith of his father and his grandfather. He was raised in their faith. He was taught their faith. He knew their faith and even believed their faith. But he had never had a personal experience with God. And to Jacob... It was all a second-hand reality. The amazing thing, listen to pastor, the amazing thing is that God now speaks to Jacob in the moment of his desperation. His deception and trickery was used by God to bring him to this precise moment in his life, now that he is running for his life, now that he is leaving the promised land, now that he has disgraced himself, now that he has finally reached the bottom, at that exact moment, God speaks to Jacob. 
There's something inherent in Pentecostalism that God can't speak to a person and God can't minister a person and God can't help a person unless they've just completed a three or a seven day fast or even a 21 day Daniel's fast and has spent so many hours every day in prayer. I want to remind everybody in this building that God set an eternal precedent that while you're living at your absolute worst and your greatest moment of carnality that could be all of those things that God uses to bring you into a powerful, anointed, divine rendezvous with him. God, I wish somebody could hear me today. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts to us in our pain. Pain, he said, is God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping soul. It happens in the form of a strange dream. In his dream, Jacob saw a ladder descending from heaven to earth. The key point is that Jacob sees this ladder resting where he's at. The first step of the ladder was within walking distance of the first step he would take. He just had to choose to go towards the ladder. I want to stop and deviate just for a moment. Folks, God is speaking. This church has been going on for months. I told you so. I told you so. At the starting of this year, I told you so. God's been speaking, and my heart's been pounding. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent on just this presentation this morning alone, but I'm here to tell you that there's a ladder from here to heaven within one step of everybody sitting in this building if you choose to take that step. Let me remind you of a Simon Peter stepping off of a boat and we call it walking on the water. But can I use it for the context of this message? It was a first step of a ladder that took him to a place that no other man has gone. And God did it in his greatest moment of disbelief and questioning whether it was even God or not coming to him on the water. God, speak to our church today and wake us up and rouse us up and have us realize that in our greatest moment of misery and despair, life isn't over, but that's when God comes and he puts a ladder within the next step you take can be that ladder. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes! On the stairway, Jacob saw angels Sister Melanie, not one, not one, but many. I wish the Bible said how many. Once you see his grandfather Abraham only saw one. Isaac only saw one. But here's the heathen, the deceiver, the supplanter. Abraham didn't see God. Isaac didn't see God, but here's the liar, the cheater, that sees a host of angels. 
going up and down, up and down, up and down. And God, at the top of that ladder, you talk about a stairway to heaven. It's worth noting that not many people in the Bible ever saw angels. Most people lived their entire life and never once saw an angel. But here, right now, at certain critical moments in history, God allowed a few people to see His angels at work. It's as if God would draw back the curtain of purpose at a crucial moment and let someone see an angel of God on work, at work on their behalf, behind the scenes, unseen, unrecognizable, and undetected. God rolled back to heavens. It wasn't one angel. It was a host of angels working on Jacob's behalf to bring a dream to pass that Jacob thought would be impossible, especially in him. Feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Feel the Holy Ghost this morning. At the top of that ladder stood God Himself with angels walking up and down. What are the angels doing, Pastor? What are they doing? They're taking messages from earth up to heaven. It's messages from heaven down to earth. They carry out God's will, they answer prayers, they give guidance. They provide protection. They fight for the people of God and fending off the attacks of the devil. And at the top of that ladder was God himself. Think about that. Jacob at the bottom. Jacob. Jacob at the bottom. But God. God at the top. I promise you I could run through that poll right now. Folks, I'm a dreamer. And I've been a dreamer for a long time. Sister Alexander and Cassie Crochet can attest to that. I've been a dreamer for a long time, but not like I am now. I'm not just dreaming. I'm dreaming big, big, big. And all I can see is little old unknown me at the bottom of a ladder. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's at the bottom. What matters is who's at the top. What does all of this mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Let me answer the question this way. There was a reason why Jacob was a cheater. He cheated. Perhaps because he thought God was far away from him. He has the same picture of God that a lot of you have. That a lot of you have. That a lot of you have. A God in heaven who wound up the universe like a giant clock, set it running, and busied himself about other things on the other side of the universe. To Jacob, God was too big. He was too fast. He was too magnificent. He was too almighty to ever be concerned about someone like him. It wasn't that Jacob's view of God was too small. Not at all. Jacob's view of God as, as, as entirely transcendent, so far removed from the earth that he had no time to worry about the details of human life. 
We all feel that same, same way sometimes. God loves me. I know the Bible says he does. But it's a big world, and everybody's got problems. And he's got to take care of 7 billion people. How can God have the time to worry about someone like me? But that kind of thinking leads to a faulty conclusion. If God is not personal, if he's not concerned about your life, then you are left pretty much on your own. After all, sometimes we think we have the rule book that we call the Bible. We have the Ten Commandments and so on. But after that, it's pretty much every man to himself. So if you bend the rules, so be it. Nobody's going to take care of you but your and that's just the way life works and to some here at grace that sounds appealing it can even be made to sound spiritual that's perhaps the way Jacob had lived for all of those years he cheated because he thought either God didn't notice or God didn't care or was too busy to help him out so Jacob consistently took the matters of life into his own hands Jacob reasoned this way. If God were here, I wouldn't have to do things this way. But God's not here, so I've got to take care of myself. But Jacob is wrong. Jacob is wrong. The message of the dream is this. The message of the dream is this. Jacob, I am nearer to you than you think I am. I stand in front of the next path that you're going to choose. To go where you're going, you will have to step on the first ring of the ladder. I am with you. I'm nearer to you than you think I am. Although I am in heaven and you're on earth, there's a stairway that reaches from me to you. And my angels are constantly watching over you. They tell me what you need. And I send them back to earth with my answer. I am not far away. In fact, I'm with you wherever you go. When you travel, my stairway travels with you. I was with you in Beersheba. I was with you when you tricked Esau. I was with you when you deceived your father. I am with you right now. I will be with you in Haran. Everywhere you go, I will be with you. And that in a nutshell, this is what this dream is all about. It's a message from God about the nearness of God. In order to help Jacob understand it, God reaffirmed the promise he had made to Abraham and Isaac. Number one, he said, I will give you this land to a cheater, to a liar, to a supplanter, to the chiefest among Old Testament sinners, if you will. God is going to let me bear the promise Not only that, Jacob, deceiver, liar, so on. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. I'm going to populate the earth, not with Abraham's and not with Isaac's. You're going to be the third of the last of the patriarchs. And I'm going to populate the earth with Jacob's. And they're going to bear my promise. know what that means to you but it gives me a lot of hope man 
because I can be a promise bearer. If Jacob can, I can dream. If Jacob can, I can live a life of purpose. You don't have to be an Abraham. You don't have to be a willing sacrifice like Isaac was. You can be a lying, cheating Jacob and still bear the promise. Oh, peoples, everybody that ever lives, moves, and breathes on this planet, Jacob, is going to be blessed because of you. bring this into a little more focus, maybe this will help. I oftentimes look at the Apostle Paul of the New Testament as a New Testament Jacob. He was a wicked man. But God gave him a dream. Whether out of the body or in the body, I cannot tell. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven. You don't have to have always lived your life as a saint for God. Then he said, I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will never leave you. You will never spend another moment alone. The latter will go with you everywhere you go. To your job and to your marriage and to having kids and to your shattered dreams and your disappointments into your failed life, into your broken family, it doesn't matter. The latter is always present. People say, why do I want a ladder present in my life? I'll tell you about the ladder in a moment, and then you'll understand. If that seems important, it's only because we aren't today where Jacob was that night, but... If you study these words carefully, it becomes clear that God is meeting Jacob at the point of his personal, his most personal, his most personal need. Never a man ever in history prior to this moment has been lower than Jacob was. No human has ever fallen so low as Jacob to deceive your own father, to deceive your own mother, to steal and rob future inheritance and blessing from your brother. It takes a big, giant creep to do that. But notice what the ladder does. Notice what a dream does. This is why I want everybody here to have a dream. Everybody in this room, you've got to become a dreamer again. If you start dreaming again, you'll start showing up for Wednesday night and you'll show up for Sunday school on Sunday morning and you'll get excited about Grace Reach and you'll get excited about kids going to youth camp and you'll even want to get excited about your kids receiving the Holy Ghost and seeing your family restored and seeing your family reconciled. But you've got to be a dreamer. You've got to be a dreamer. Think of what this dream addressed for Jacob. Number one was shame. God in this dream addressed Jacob's shame by saying, I'm the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. 
your shame has had no bearing on what I think of your family. He said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. He spoke to Jacob's betrayal when he said, I'm the God of Isaac. If I'm still the God of your father and he's, you're his son, then I'm still your God. You can't betray me out of your life, asked Judas Iscariot. It doesn't matter how shamed you feel here today. It doesn't matter how many people you feel like you may have betrayed or that people betrayed you. There's still a ladder in your life. Jacob lost his homeland. But God said, I will give you this land You feel insignificant, Jacob. You feel no value. You feel no purpose. Your life is a waste up until this point. But hear me in this dream. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He lost his family. But God said, your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. So somewhere in Jacob's future was a reconciliation. Where the promise could be passed on. Jacob was suffering because of his lifestyle. He was suffering a fear of the future. But God said, don't be afraid. I am with you wherever you go. Finally, Jacob suffered with a fear of failure. But God said, I will not leave you until I bring you back to this place and everything I've accomplished in you is accomplished. I will not leave. So to all of us here today, God has our shame. He has our betrayal. He has our loss of homeland or heritage. He has our insignificance or lack of value. He understands our loss of family and fear of the future and a fear of failure. As the saying goes, that's as good as it gets. Jacob now receives the very same promise that God gave his grandfather and his father. In addition, God promises to be with him while he is in Haran and to bring him back someday to the promised land. This is exactly what Jacob needed to hear on the eve of his journey to Haran. My son... I know who you are, and I know what you've done. Nothing is hidden from me. I also know how frightened you are, but remember this. When you go to Haran, you won't be going alone, for I will go with you. And when your time in Haran is finished, I will bring you safely back home again. You have my sacred word on that, is what God was telling Jacob. Think about it for a moment. At this point, Jacob feels guilty about his past and fearful of the future and uncertain in the present. To all of that, God simply says, I will be with you. It's a total solution to guilt. It's a total solution to fear. And it's a total solution to anxiety. Through all of this, Jacob is learning the lesson that there is no place where he can go that God is not already there. So Jacob awakens. What time is it? Sometime after midnight. He rubs his eyes, stretches, yawns, sits up, and then he remembers. Was this a dream? Was it reality? Or was it reality within a dream? Thinking, pausing, pondering. 
He begins to put the pieces together in his mind. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is a gate of heaven. What was it that Jacob discovered that night? At the worst that a human being has ever lived, he discovered the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere present all the time. That's why he called the place where he slept Bethel, the house of God. In years to come, Jacob's descendants would build a vast temple in Jerusalem, and it would be called the house of God. But no building of brick and mortar can contain the presence of the Almighty. When we call our church building the house of God, we simply mean it's dedicated to the worship of God. But some people think that God is more present in a building than He is anywhere else. Let me say to you, not so. What God is teaching Jacob is that any place can be a house of God if you go to meet God there. Meeting with God is not limited to church. You can meet Him on the interstate or in a hospital room or in a restaurant or a plane soaring through the sky or alone in a rocking chair or on a bus to school or riding in your car. Do you understand? God is everywhere and His presence is not determined by your behavior. Even when you sin, God is there. Wherever you are, there God is. And wherever God is, there's a stairway to heaven reaching down from God right to where you are. You don't have to have a holy place. Any place can be a holy place if you stop and listen to God's voice speaking to you. Sometime you have a deep spiritual experience and say, I really felt the presence of God. But let me inform every person in this building this morning, God is with you whether you feel it or not. God is with you whether you know it or not. God is with you whether you see it or not. God is with you whether you sense it or not. Note the tense. Surely the Lord is in this place, Jacob said. Is, not was. Surely the Lord is in this place. I'm just not aware of it. Jacob has just learned that God is always with his people, whether they know it or not. It's been my observation that relatively few people meet God on Sunday morning. Listen to pastor. I'm trying to hurry. You are much more likely to meet God on the bed of affliction. You're much more likely to meet God when you lose your job or when your children are sick or when your friends betray you or when your marriage collapses. You are much more likely to meet with Him after an accident than during pre-service fellowship on Sunday morning. You're much more likely to meet Him in the hospital than in the sanctuary. Not because God isn't here. Not it's, it's, He is here. It's just, it's not on Sunday either. Our problem is, is that God speaks and we don't listen. Oftentimes it takes tragedy. It takes failures. It takes a financial setback. Sometimes it takes heartache. It takes illness. It takes the collapse of our dreams. Then at last, we look up to heaven and say, Surely the Lord is in this place. But I didn't know it until my dream collapsed. God has been with me and my family all along. 
I just didn't know it until my life fell apart. And it's happened to the vast majority of us. We never really had that incredible rendezvous with God until our lives were in pieces. Is it not true? Can I get a witness? Church isn't the only place where you can meet God. And most of us meet Him in the challenges and tragedies of life. Our story's almost over. Do you know where this story is referred to in the New Testament? It's in the Gospel of John. When Philip met Jesus for the first time, listen carefully. He was so excited that he hurried to tell his friend Nathaniel. He called him Jesus of Nazareth. That didn't impress Nathaniel because Nazareth was just a tiny village in Galilee. Nathaniel asked the famous question, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip's response is quite sensible. He says, Come and see. No pressure. You can make up your own mind. When Jesus saw Nathanael, he said, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. We might pass over that statement, but it ties directly into our story. Israel, Israel was the name given to Jacob by God himself. If Jacob means cheater, then Israel means a noble person who prevails with God. In essence, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, You are a true son of the man called Israel. You are a byproduct, not of Abraham, not of Isaac, but of Jacob. Later on, Nathaniel looks at Jesus and says, Well then, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Not the nation, the man. Jesus responds by saying, I tell you the truth. John 1 51. Nathaniel, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Ladies and gentlemen, the ladder, Jacob's ladder, is not a what, but a who. It wasn't some fictitious piece of wood nailed together like that is. It's not a what. It was a revelation to Jacob that night. That out of your loins, out of your loins, Jacob is going to come. The king of kings and the lord of lords. 
if you'll continue to bear the promise, if you'll stay with me, that ladder you dreamed of that night, I can erase the angels. I can take them away because that ladder is going to be God personified in the flesh and you won't need an angel anymore because Jesus said, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Stand with me. I'm going to try to bring this to a conclusion. Stand with me. In John 1, Jesus, the Son of God, is at the bottom of the ladder. What does it mean? It means that in the person of Jesus Christ, God has come down the ladder to join you. So Jesus himself is a stairway that leads back to heaven. So if you want to go to heaven, Jesus is a stairway. He's a ladder. He'll take you there. That's why he said in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God but through me. So the grace of God, the grace of God, listen carefully. The grace of God, the fulfillment of a ladder, the purpose of a ladder, the grace of God is for people like me. So Bethel, the house of God, is the place of new beginnings. This is a place where you can start all over again. Dreams are born here. Dreams are born in the house of God. Dreams, dreams are given in the house of God. And when you leave Bethel and go on to Haran, the dream goes with you. I ask all of you people, give me one of your cups. Somebody give me a cup. Here we go. I got one. To you... It's a little plastic stadium cup. But to me, it's a symbol. And I'm going to fill this cup with a dream. And it's going to run over. And I'm not going to quit until my dreams come to pass. You listen to me, young people. Brianna, God's giving you a dream. She told me a couple of years ago, my goal is to work for God on a foreign field somewhere. That's not too outlandish for God. And I believe today that she is a bearer of God's promise. You bring that to pass. Every step you take is up another rung of that ladder. Everywhere you turn, there's a ladder. And it don't take you anywhere but up as long as you stay on the ladder. Start dreaming. Y'all start dreaming. Johnny and Lori, I want to tell you in the Holy Ghost, start dreaming. I know there's some problems. I know there's some problems, but it don't take away a dream. You can live a better life than what you've ever lived in your life. Things can start getting summarily better from here. You just have to dream about it and do whatever it takes to bring it to pass. Start dreaming.
I told two or three people this week, Shaquana, you're living a dream right now. When I met you, you were alone. He was kind of in and out of your life. You had a white Cadillac back then, if I remember right. Take you back to that moment. But look at you now. Gone to school, graduated LPN. Okay, well, I misunderstood. A legal administrative assistant went to school and got a degree. Met a fine man. He's taking care of her. And every step takes you up a little bit more. Am I right? You don't have to quit dreaming, Sister April. I'm okay here. Per per permission is better than forgiveness, I think is the way it goes. But she's experienced a terrible tragedy in her life, but God's given her comfort. Her husband passed away a couple of years ago, as I understand. It's a long story. But I want to assure her today, her dreams are not over with. Dream big. Dream big. And Ryan and Sandy, you're about to embark on a life together. Now's the time to start dreaming big. And let every step you take, take you up one more rung of that ladder. Life isn't a game and neither is it over. Dream big. Dream big. Sister Kathy, life has taken you to hell and back in a lot of ways. Excuse my expression. Dream big. Vic and Evie, y'all stayed on my mind for the past several months. If you think back now, you'll start seeing it. But there's far more dreams to dream. You've been through situations, etc. Dream big. Start dreaming again. Be more than you've ever been. Do better than you've ever done. And let every step you take be another rung up that ladder. Keep going. Keep going. Mike and Sheila, y'all have had a good life with lots of bumps in the road, but your faith still is strong. Don't quit dreaming. Don't give up on your dreams. Let every step you take go up that ladder. This is a God moment. This is a God moment. Brianna, God brought you here under real unique circumstances. Grace reach. Grace reaching at its best. Let God give you a dream. Life's not over. And Father, in the name of Jesus, our heart has been broken a thousand times. Life has been anything but fair. Shattered dreams. A life lived filled with broken promises. And I'm not here to make one God, but you are. And if she'll take a step towards that ladder, if she'll take a step towards you, her life summarily can change from this moment on. Give her the birth of a dream. She's got a son depending on her to dream again. 
to lead him places he's never been, to show him things he's never seen. God, lay your hand on her right now in the name of Jesus. Give her a dream, a dream that's attainable, a dream that could be fulfilled, a dream that can come to pass. I ask it in the name of Jesus. I ask it in the name of Jesus. I could go around this building for the next 30, 45 minutes, and I could go to one person right after another. We've dreamed too long. We've dreamed, we, we've lived too long of dreamless lives. Dreams with no, a life with no hope, no future, no vision. The average person here today, if you ask them, where are you going? Where will you be a year from now? They don't have a clue. It's time for that to change. God is going to give you a dream. It's coming to pass, man. It's coming to pass. Young fellas up here at the front, Patrick, start dreaming, man. Dream big. Dream big. Life is too great. And there's too great of an opportunity in front of all. All of you to waste it away. Come on, young ladies. Start dreaming. Dream big. Dream huge. We need some dreamers. You can become a dreamer again. It can happen again. Oh, God, it can happen again. Hallelujah to God. I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. A dream is being born here right now. Everybody come to the front and bring God your broken promises, your broken dreams. Bring them right now. Bring God your shattered dreams. Come on, folks, everybody. If you see somebody praying close to you, put your hand on their shoulder and pray with them. I need everybody to participate right now. God wants to turn somebody's life around this morning. God wants to fill somebody up with the Holy Ghost. Come on, folks, help me dream right now. Help me dream. It's time for dreams to start coming to pass. God wants to work in your life. He wants to work in your home. He wants to work in your family. Somebody let God have his way. Somebody let the Lord have his way. Let him use you right now. Pray for somebody close to you right now.